Hi, ParCast listeners. Carter here. And I'm Wendy. In honor of Earth Day, all of ParCast is bringing you a special event called Dark Green, Earth Crimes and Conspiracies. For this event, we're investigating the shadowy corners where crime and the environment meet and telling those stories. Because climate change isn't just about science and the weather. It shows up in all parts of society and culture, even crime. Did you know, for example, about the strange circumstances surrounding the 1974 death of a chemical technician? Or that in the early 2000s, there was a serial killer with a very specific target, hikers in national forests. Or did you know about the many environmental activists who go missing or end up dead? To hear these stories and more, come along with us for a different kind of Earth Day celebration. And if you'd like to learn more and take action on the climate, visit www.spotify.com slash darkgreenresources. Due to the nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of killing, torture, rape, animal cruelty, and mutilation. Consider this when deciding how and when to listen. One more note before we start. Today's dramatic recreations are inspired by true events. She's the foremost authority on the greatest of the great apes, the mountain gorilla. Would you welcome, please, Diane Fossey. Let's show this film, and you can talk over it and tell us what we're seeing here. See the tranquility and the gentleness of the animals? That must be a very emotional experience. It certainly is, especially when you look into their eyes. You see in their eyes the depth. You wonder what they're thinking. You wonder if you can even communicate more with them. There's something in their eyes that is so... oh, ethereal almost. It's a beautiful thing to see. In the 1980s, Diane Fossey was the face of mountain gorilla conservation, an ordinary woman who became an environmental hero. At least, that's how the media painted her. See, Diane Fossey wasn't always as charming as her appearance on The Tonight Show would lead you to believe. To save her beloved gorillas, she'd break the law and resort to any means necessary. Until her life met a violent end. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on the 1985 slaying of Diane Fossey at her research outpost in Rwanda. Diane was a woman with two sides. One, the side seen on TV and the pages of National Geographic, adventurous and hardworking with a huge heart for animals and conservation, beloved by her friends and the public, and willing to risk anything for the animals she loved, including her life. This is the side we'll look at today. 
But next week, we'll explore Diane's dark side leading up to her murder and the enemies she made along the way. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Take something iconic, like the all-electric 2024 Fiat 500e. Add something electrica. Bring the swagger. And an Italian icon is remixed and ready to drop with its available premium JBL audio system. Tap the banner to learn more. Fiat is a registered trademark of FCA Group Marketing SPA. Used under license by FCA US LLC. Some vacations change your life forever. For Diane Fossey, it was a seven-week safari in 1963. She'd always gotten along better with animals than people. And for those blissful few weeks, she fell in love with one kind of animal specifically. Gorillas. But like all vacations, it ended with a painful snap back to reality. Three years later, 34-year-old Diane was drowning in debt stuck in a dead-end job and in a long engagement with no wedding on the calendar. To top it all off, she was covered in boils from a staph infection. But no amount of itch could stop her tonight. She sat in a lecture hall at the University of Louisville in Kentucky. It was after 11 p.m. on a Sunday, but her attention was rapt. The speaker was one of her heroes, famed scientist Louis Leakey. Jane didn't just study chimpanzee mothers in Tanzania. She found out they're carnivores. See? Here is a slide of a chimpanzee eating a chicken leg. Just like us. Just like us. Absolutely phenomenal breakthrough. To think, just a year before, she was my secretary. No training. No degree. Just her own female instinct. Passion. And of course, funding from donors like you. Now look at her, this year on the cover of National Geographic. A stunning success, and perhaps one I can replicate. After the talk, Diane scratched her arms and gathered her gumption. Sure, it was a fundraiser for scientific research, but at this point, it was the closest Diane could get to Africa. Her six-foot height and introversion usually made her feel out of place, but this was her only chance to talk to someone who shared her passion for gorillas. Clutching her papers, Diane approached Dr. Leakey. 
Dr. Leakey, what an incredible lecture. I don't know if you remember me. We met at your dig site in Tanzania. Yes, uh, remind me of your name? Diane Fossey. It was 1963. I was with my guide, the hunter John Alexander. Ah, yes, I do remember you. You're the lady who vomited all over my giraffe fossil. <laughs> right, and I'm truly sorry for that. But I wanted to say you inspired me. The work you've done studying primates, it's... Frankly, I'm jealous. How kind. I'm thrilled you enjoyed the talk. You see, I wrote about my trip for the Louisville Courier Journal. I brought clippings. <laughs> yes, well, that's very good for you, Diane. Now, if you'll excuse me, I... I wrote about gorillas. I saw them up close in Kabara. You went all the way to Kabara? Those boils on your arm, they aren't contagious, are they? No, just itchy. Can I see those clippings? Yes, here. There's no animal so majestic as the mountain gorilla. Uh, ho hold up, let me read it. I photographed the mountain gorilla. All right, how much longer will they continue to thrive? Will the gorilla merely become the hapless victim of our times, whose future bends to the will of frenzied human aggrandizements? Uh, say, why don't you join me for breakfast tomorrow? The next morning, Diane met Dr. Louis Leakey at the Stouffer's Inn. They'd eat at the hotel restaurant, though Diane could care less about the eggs and bacon. Louis Leakey had taken an interest in her. Better yet, he had the contacts to finance her return to Africa. In the 60s, Dr. Leakey's track record for sponsoring scientific studies was impossible to beat. Diane just had to convince Leakey she was the next Jane Goodall. Uh, you're aware of my protege, Jane Goodall. Of course you are. Well, like you, she was completely unqualified in the academic sense. But Jane had what truly matters, compassion, verve, and an eye for mother-infant relationships. Jane's done incredible work studying chimpanzees. And, and you could do the same with the gorillas. Dr. Leakey, I would love that. Not so fast. This is a big decision. I'd need at least two years' commitment before sending you to the Congo. You'll have to leave your life, your husband, children, and everything that you've known to be in this... I've got no kids. And my fiancé's studying at Notre Dame, so he's busy. How would he feel about his betrothed going to Africa alone? He should be perfectly fine, since that's how we met. He's from Rhodesia. Unmarried, no children, a relevant bachelor's degree, no home or business. Huh, you fit all of my qualifications. Thank you. But the job requires intense hikes, hours spent in silence, facing off with 400-pound animals of terrifying strength. Political instability, infrequent showers. None of this scares you? Did you know, during one study, we were out in the bush for months, and my wife nearly died from appendicitis. People die from appendicitis in Louisville, too. Dr. Leakey, why on earth would I stay here when I could observe the greatest of the great apes? That is true, though I still suggest leaving your appendix at home. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a deal. That afternoon, Dr. Leakey boarded a plane for the next leg of his tour. Diane stayed in Louisville, heart bursting with joy. Though she was 34, she felt like her life had just begun.
You see, Dr. Leakey believed the future of primatology lay with uneducated single women. He wanted his researchers to be patient and without preconceived notions about what the study should find. He especially wanted someone who'd pay attention to female primates and their babies. The attitude was a little sexist, but it worked. Just look at Jane Goodall. Everything was lining up for Diane to follow in Jane's footsteps, just as long as Dr. Leakey followed through on his promises and secured the funding. Dear Dr. Leakey, I've been studying Swahili so I can speak to the locals. I'm prepared to resign from my job, though the hospital will want two weeks' notice. When shall I inform them? Dear Diane, Joan and Alan Root spoke most highly of you. I'm in the midst of my due diligence. Gorillas are an expensive lot. Please, have patience while I find an investor. Dear Dr. Leakey, in case you were wondering, my fiancé Alexi said to go right ahead to the Congo. Any update from the investors? Dear Dr. Leakey, per your requirement, I've scheduled the operation to remove my appendix in three weeks. Please advise if I should cancel. Leaky, I've gotten my appendix out and expect to be healed and ready to fly to Africa in six weeks. Please confirm. Dear Diane, you went under the knife so quickly. Had I known, I would have said there's no need. My appendectomy comment was a test. Dear Dr. Leakey, sounds like I passed with flying colors. Now, am I going to the Congo or not? The funding is secured. You'll leave on December 19th. Diane Fossey left the U.S., ready to dive headfirst into her work in the jungles of the Congo. But first, Dr. Leakey insisted she spend some time with Jane Goodall at a site in Kenya. Maybe she could borrow some of Jane's techniques. According to history, Diane didn't think so. In his book, The Dark Romance of Diane Fossey, author Harold Hayes wrote that Diane was, quote, not all that impressed. Diane respected Jane as a trailblazer, but she felt gorillas could be studied differently. After that, Diane flew southwest to the Congo. She didn't care that she wouldn't have indoor plumbing or that it was a politically unstable region. It was finally time to find some gorillas. Diane's friends, the Roots, helped her set up camp in the Virunga Mountains, smack dab in the center of the African continent. The 45-square-mile area was home to a subgroup of one of the only two remaining species of mountain gorillas in existence. It was also in the middle of nowhere. Despite her gumption and Dr. Leakey's good faith, Diane was woefully under-resourced. She lived in a tent on a budget of pennies. Once the Roots returned to their own work as wildlife photographers, she was largely left alone. For a short time, her days were filled with paperwork and record filing. It was anything but glamorous, but Diane didn't need glamour. Soon, she'd meet her gorillas. Her first full day in the field was January 1967. She laced up her hiking boots, grabbed her binoculars, and climbed into the mountains. Within minutes, she caught the distinct scent of a gorilla. A bit like a barnyard, but somehow more human. Memories of her first trip to Africa flooded back. In the midst of the vibrant green jungle, 
Diane glimpsed a spot of thick black fur. She stepped through the leaves to look closer. A lone male gorilla lay in the sun beside a pond, perfectly peaceful, almost as if he were trying to catch a tan. Diane stared for a brief, magical second. Until the gorilla sensed her. The gorilla lumbered away, frightened, but Diane would see him again. For the next seven months, she tracked gorillas, learning their habitats, taking notes, and head counts. Eventually, she could pick out individual gorillas. She even named one after her fiancé, Alexi. She was happy. Until the bubble popped. As we mentioned before, the Congo wasn't exactly stable. The country had gained independence from Belgian colonists back in 1960. Only a few months after Diane arrived in 1967, fighting broke out again. That July, the de facto leader of the Congolese made a declaration. The enemy wasn't just Belgians, but anyone of Western descent. Diane needed to get out fast. But before she could do anything, government officials detained her. Over the years, Diane would tell various people different versions of the story. By some accounts, the soldiers just asked her endless questions and refused to let her leave. By others, they tortured her, raped her, and kept her in a cage. Diane kept the full truth to herself. But the danger was no secret. Westerners were being executed in the Congo. Diane feared for her life, so she devised a ruse to escape. She claimed her Jeep needed to be re-registered and bribed the guards to let her drive it to Uganda. They agreed, as long as they could drive with her. Diane drove the officials across the border into Uganda, but about 10 minutes after they crossed, she swerved into a hotel parking lot and jumped out of the car. She ran inside into a random room and slid under a bed. When Congolese soldiers stormed into the hotel to retrieve her, Ugandan officials stopped them. It turned out that Diane had smuggled a message to a friend who'd arranged for her protection in Uganda. Diane was safe, though the Congolese made sure a warning got back to her. If she ever returned to the Congo, she'd be, quote, shot on sight. But as Diane saw it, the only way to continue her guerrilla research was in the Congo. She now faced a choice between her life's work and her life. Coming up, Diane sacrifices everything for her love of gorillas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker. The Hargan family killings. 
Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. In the summer of 1967, 35-year-old Diane Fossey narrowly escaped execution in the Congo. After finding safety in Uganda, she visited her mentor, Dr. Leakey, at his home in Nairobi, Kenya. Now, however, she faced a new problem. If I don't get back to the Congo, I might never see a mountain gorilla again. Do you have a cigarette lighter? Yes, on the shelf. Thanks. If I don't study them, who will? There has to be... Maybe I sneak back in another way. It's the Congo. You can't simply sneak back into the Congo. There's a warrant on your head. Screw the warrant. I got out safely. I heard they tortured you. This is torture. Not being able to continue my work. Trapped in limbo. I was just getting the gorillas habituated to me. Look, you cannot cross the border. But... Gorillas can. The Virunga range extends into Rwanda, no guarantees. But I suspect gorillas have migrated across the park. Rwanda. Okay, I'll find them in Rwanda. Exactly. Diane was willing to risk death for her gorilla study, so restarting from scratch was nothing. She just had to find a place for her new camp in Rwanda. Her search led her to the home of another American, Rosamond Carr. Back in the 40s, Rosamond had left her life as a New Jersey socialite to follow her explorer husband to Africa. Since then, she'd gotten divorced and become the owner of a flower nursery at the base of Mount Karasimbi. Diane's best guess was that if there were gorillas in Rwanda, they were on Mount Karasimbi, and Rosamond could provide lodging. So Diane scheduled lunch. Thank you for making time for me. No thanks necessary. I'm glad Walter sent you my way. I find myself wanting to meet everyone lately. Side effect of divorce. (laughs) Would you want to meet any gorillas? Sweethearts, gorillas smell like an open sewer. No thanks. You get used to it. How about renting out your land as a base camp? You wouldn't have to go out in the field. We just met and you're already moving in? Cute. Frankly, I'm not sure there even are gorillas this side of the Virungas. I've never seen one. Well, they're endangered, so there might be only a hundred or so left. People won't stop destroying their habitat. And the hunting. These poachers, they slaughter animals, gorge on the bushmeat, and sell the rest off as trophies for rich jerks to brag about. All the beautiful wildlife in Rwanda is under threat from poachers. What else can people do when they've been stomped on by the French, the Belgians, even us Americans? I know I won't change your mind, but I'm going to tell you anyway to say I did. Go home. Rwanda is dangerous for animals and humans alike. Have you had to scare the tribesmen away living alone? How do you mean? My fiancé, Alexei, told me, if the tribesmen think I'm a witch, they'll leave me alone. He said his mom used to wear a big mask, set off smoke bombs, and yell real loud. Apparently, it scared the Rhodesians off. He said it's how white women stay safe. Alexei Forrester? 
I know the family a bit, and trust me, his mother's gun kept her safe. He is right, though. Rwandan animal poachers can be violent. If local witchcraft makes you feel safer, though, why the heck not? Now, I don't have any spells for you, but I do believe in safety in numbers. I can't give you my home, but there's a friend of mine you should meet. And so Rosamond Carr introduced Diane to her friend, Aliette de Monk, a Belgian naturalist who'd grown up traveling in Africa. Aliette agreed to work with Diane. Together, they set up camp high in the Virungas, five hours from civilization. The research outpost stood between two mountains, Karasimbi and Visoke. Diane combined them to name her research camp Karasoke. At Karasoke, Diane and Aliette had assistance from Rwandan trackers and housekeepers, though the two women tended to ignore them. In Diane's defense, there was a major language barrier. She'd learned Swahili before entering the Congo, but she didn't expect to be in Rwanda, so she hadn't learned any Kinyarwanda, the language of the people. She hadn't learned French either, the language of the colonizers. And by 1968, she felt like she didn't have time to deal with people at all. Her sole focus was on finding gorillas. Luckily for Diane, Dr. Leakey was right. Gorillas had migrated across the Congolese border and into Rwanda's mountains. On her hikes, Diane came across several family groups. One gorilla in particular caught her eye, a juvenile with a broken finger. Inspired, Diane named him Digit. He was playful and curious, and most importantly, he was a loner, just like Diane. That combination meant he'd get a little closer to her than the other gorillas. Not close enough to touch, but close enough to bring Diane new hope in a way she likely shared with Roz. Just picture it, Roz. The first multi-decade study of a gorilla family. If I can pull it off, imagine all we could learn. That's a very long time to be up in Karasoki, especially now that Aliette started traveling again. She's back often enough, and you live alone. Why shouldn't I? I live in civilization. And what's your fiancé going to do? Move up the mountain and raise your kids in that shack? It's an upgrade from the tent. Alexi and I are over anyway. What? Oh, but he just visited. It wasn't a visit so much as a Navy SEAL extraction operation. He tried to drag me back to Kentucky. And you said no? I've got an entire gorilla family I can recognize by their nose prints. If we don't do something soon, the entire species will disappear. It's not just my gorillas. That'd be a catastrophe for the entire ecosystem, including you and your flowers, Roz. And by the way... I get it. I guess we'll need to find you another man then, one who likes gorillas. I don't need a man. What I need is for National Geographic to send a camera guy to film the gorillas, like Jane Goodall had. You know what else Jane Goodall had? A husband and a baby. <laughs> Enough, Roz. I'll be fine. Before long, Diane Fossey got what she wanted. And so did Roz. National Geographic heard about Diane's progress with the gorillas and sent a photographer to try to capture never-before-seen images. 
His name was Bob Campbell. He was tall, handsome, and Diane didn't like him. She didn't like anyone who came to Karasoke, really, but she still needed good photos of the gorillas. So she led Bob and his camera up the mountain. You hike like this every day? It's where the gorillas live. You can only see them if you really care. I do care. I'm a National Geographic photographer, for heaven's sake. You okay, Twinkle Toes? You want to turn back? I'm, I'm fine. I just slipped, that's all. And my name isn't Twinkle Toes. We're close to the habitat, and you have to act like a gorilla to make them comfortable. Here, chew on this. Does celery help with the famous gorilla stink? It makes them feel like I'm one of them. I've been doing this a year now, and I finally got them habituated to me. Can't have you screwing it up. I have my camera at the ready. You better. Mmm. Mmm. Should I? Uh, should, should I make those sounds too? Okay. Holy mother! A gorilla. The trait Diane valued most at Karasoke was competence, and Bob's photography skills were more than competent. On his first trip out, he took incredible pictures. With Diane's help. He got closer to mountain gorillas than most wildlife photographers could dream of. Though Bob knew Diane could be abrasive, he grew to admire her passion, intellect, and skill in documenting gorillas. He followed her everywhere. Diane didn't exactly care for being followed. Though Karasoke had become a revolving door for young scientists, Diane liked her space, preferring peace, quiet, and eating dinner alone or she did until she hit the end of her rope in July, 1969. That month, everyone in Karasoke wanted to talk about the moon landing instead of gorillas. Her dog was kidnapped for the second time. Her cabin was burglarized. And now Dr. Leakey sent her an incompetent census taker to track the gorillas' numbers. According to Bob Campbell in an interview with Harold Hayes, The man was too busy smoking marijuana to count gorillas. Though, according to the census taker, Diane was incompetent, drank too much, chain-smoked, and was just plain mean. Both Diane and the census taker complained to Dr. Leakey. Each thought the other was actively destroying the gorilla study and should be fired and sent home. Bob Campbell took Diane's side. When Dr. Leakey came to a decision, Bob even helped Diane fire the census taker. And suddenly, Bob's presence wasn't quite so annoying to Diane. She found herself bringing him all her good news. Based on accounts of their relationship, we imagine it might have gone something like this. I can't believe how close Digit got this morning. I could have reached over and touched him. That gorilla's taken quite a shine to you. He's so bright-eyed and innocent. I wonder how he'll mature once he's a silverback. Say... Look at your hair. You could use a trim. Oh, let me run right to the barber. Do the gorillas recommend anyone? (laughs) I'll have my wife do it next time I go visit. Right, your wife. Though, it is useful to have locks of hair around in case we encounter poachers. 
The folk practice is to make charms out of hair. It makes locals think you're a witch and the hair belongs to people under your control. Oh, oh, you're serious. No need to wait for your wife, if that's okay. Mm. I could use the hair. Just don't, don't take too much off the back. It's only for intimidation. I don't believe in this crap, but a woman's got to take care of herself out here. Oh, does she? Unless you, you know someone who might want to... (laughs) At the tail end of the 1960s, Diane began an affair with Bob Campbell. He was the perfect man for her, except for the fact that he was married. But high up in the Virungas, Bob's wedding vows were easy to ignore, especially as the two pushed each other to career highs. By 1970, Diane even took Dr. Leakey's suggestion to study zoology at Cambridge, just like Jane Goodall. For the next four years, Diane made frequent trips to study in England. Meanwhile, when she was back in Africa, Diane and Bob got closer to the primates each and every day. Bob took incredible close-up shots, while Diane documented the gorillas' interactions with each other, and then their interactions with her. One day, Digit the gorilla reached out and touched Diane. It was the first known instance of a wild gorilla touching a human affectionately. And Bob Campbell got it on camera. Before long, the gorillas treated Diane as one of their own. The babies would come sit in her lap to be cuddled or cling to her back as she walked around the site. The adults would touch her hair or grab her pens and notebooks for examination. Sometimes they even got into tickle fights. Mountain gorillas can weigh up to 600 pounds and are strong enough to kill a human. But with Diane, they were gentle. She discovered a side of the primates that had never been seen before. And thanks to Bob and National Geographic, so did the entire world. In January 1970, the cover of National Geographic featured Diane holding an infant gorilla, looking down at it like it was her baby. Diane got a book deal. People wanted to read her field notes. And in 1973, the National Geographic special, The Search for the Great Apes, aired footage of Digit the Gorilla interacting with Diane, even cuddling up to sleep beside her. When she visited the U.S., Diane learned she was a celebrity. And even better, so was Digit. He'd become the poster child for the endangered species, and a cute one at that. They had an expressive and tender relationship one that galvanized donors and conservationists to step in and take action. Overall, Diane's efforts were an incredible success. It seemed like life couldn't get better until it all fell apart. Coming up, Diane Fossey loses everything. Now back to the story. In 1972, Diane Fossey's Rwandan guerrilla study was a major success. Her love life, not so much. Bob Campbell had received an offer to photograph another scientific study. He planned to take it to Diane's displeasure. Here, a Shiraz. Cheers. Cheers. It's nice of you to have me over for dinner in your cabin for once. Is that why you're abandoning me? I haven't cooked you enough dinners? I'm not abandoning you. 
I'll be back in four months and we'll finish filming the documentary. But you're still going. You might as well never come back. Diane, we both know this can't work outside of Karasoke. I have a wife. I have a family in Nairobi. You know the juvenile gorillas better than your wife. Imagine if you could watch them their whole 40-year lifespan. We'd learn so much. We are learning so much. And that's why I'll come back. For good? For 40 years? I don't belong up here. And you don't belong out there. There are only so many pictures I can take of gorillas. National Geographic has a mind to send me worldwide. I have a career, Diane. If a career is what you want, then fine. Have it. Leave. And don't come back. By the end of summer 1972, Bob Campbell wrapped up his work at Karasoke, spelling the end of the affair. To make things worse, Diane's mentor, Dr. Leakey, died in the fall of that same year. Diane leaned on her vices to dull the pain. Around this time, her casual drinking and smoking seemingly evolved into drinking a case of whiskey a week, at least according to one Karasoke researcher. And though Leakey and Bob were no longer present, their help did still pay dividends through the 1970s. When Diane completed the PhD that Leakey had helped her begin, it allowed her to apply for continued funding. Plus, her newfound fame drew dozens of young researchers to Karasoke. All were thrilled to study under their role model, Diane Fossey, even if they raised an eyebrow at her drinking. Meanwhile, Digit, who Diane had studied since he was a juvenile, matured into a silverback gorilla. He became a protector alongside the gorilla family's sire, Uncle Bert. In 1977, his first baby was on the way. Which is why it was so shocking when someone killed him. The men who found Digit's lifeless body brought Diane to see her fallen gorilla. It was clear Digit's death was no accident. He'd been speared multiple times, beheaded, and his hand, the one with the famous broken finger, was chopped off. After over a decade together, Digit's family was Diane's family. And now she had to photograph his mutilated body for record keeping. Oh, dear God. What have they done to you? Your head, your hands. Digit, we've been together since you were a ball of fluff. Men, up the patrols. We can't let them die like this. Diane had clashed with wildlife poachers since her arrival in Rwanda in 1967, but Digit's 1977 slaying made it clear to her the poaching had to stop. At first, she tried the nice ways, like starting a charity called the Digit Fund. It was aimed at raising money for guerrilla preservation and solicited donations from people like BBC's David Attenborough. But public help wasn't enough. In private, Diane declared all-out war on the poachers. Diane is said to have captured, interrogated, and psychologically tortured any poacher she ran across. One of her researchers, Ian Redmond, has said that while she did physically humiliate them, she, quote, didn't leave a mark on them. 
She hoped she'd intimidate them into never killing another gorilla again. It backfired. Within six months of Digit's death, the other silverback in Digit's family group was shot and beheaded. With no silverbacks left to protect them, the group soon lost a mother gorilla and her infant, both shot by poachers. Digit's family group was destroyed, and Diane's long-term study was forcibly ended. It wasn't just an attack on the gorillas, but her life's research. Everyone who knew Diane began to worry for her, like her old friend Roz, who was also watching Diane's health decline. The poachers are going to keep killing without more active conservation efforts. (coughs) I need to... I... (coughs) Here, have some water. Whiskey would be better. Thanks, Roz. You seen a doctor about that cough? I don't need a doctor. Please, Diane. If it gets any worse, you'll have to be on oxygen. Have you thought about a break? Maybe going back to the States? Now? The gorillas need me more than ever. Group 4 is dead. You want to kill Group 5, too? Karasuke can't function without me. I have to go on my daily patrols. It was just a suggestion. But honestly, you look like a cancer patient. Doesn't matter. The gorillas need me. In the wake of Digit's death, Diane faced mounting pressure to leave Karasuke. Rwandan authorities wanted to deport her, especially after a recent incident where she fired a warning shot in response to a U.S. tourist group that had arrived unannounced. National Geographic threatened to pull her funding. The Leakey Foundation suggested a six-month sabbatical, and the U.S. State Department gave Diane a gentle suggestion to leave. It didn't help that she may have had cancer on top of emphysema and her book was overdue. So in 1980, Diane accepted a visiting professorship at Cornell and moved to upstate New York. Meanwhile, other researchers continued to study gorillas at Karasoke, giving Diane routine updates. When she wasn't teaching or writing, Diane continued to fundraise for the Digit Fund. She did press and lecture events alongside Dr. Leakey's two other protégés, Jane Goodall and Birute Galdikas. Together, the three were known as the Trimates. At the end of 1983, Diane finally published her book, Gorillas in the Mist. She dedicated it to the memory of Digit and his fellow slain gorillas. Between donations and the book, money flowed into the Digit Fund. Now, Diane didn't need National Geographic or the Leakey Foundation. She'd earned enough to support a return to Karasoke on her own. She returned in June 1983, and nothing could stop her, except for maybe herself. Diane had contracted emphysema from smoking, and it was only getting worse. On top of that, her heavy drinking continued. She and others close to her suspected she might have cancer, too. 51-year-old Diane's health was so poor that most days she couldn't manage the hike up to the gorilla's high-altitude habitat. But she could get daily updates from the latest crop of researchers, Joseph Munyaneza and Wayne McGuire. After all these years, Karasoke was her home. The gorillas and the workers there were her family. She'd stay all her life if they let her. 
For the past two decades, the Rwandan government made Diane renew her visa roughly every other month. But in December 1985, Rwanda finally granted her a long-term visa. It's unclear what changed, but Diane didn't ask questions. She could finally stay in Karasoke with no red tape. As Christmas drew near in 1985, she wanted to celebrate. Though Diane rarely socialized with her Rwandan trackers and assistants, she put in extra effort to be kind to them in her own way. Relicana, you're coming for Christmas dinner, right? You want us at your Christmas? I just invited you, didn't I? Yes, but Maguire asked about your tree, and you told him to get his nose out of your life. Christmas Eve, my cabin. I'll have gifts, dinner, the whole shebang. We'll celebrate my visa. Maguire will be there, too. I have a family in my village. They want me to be home on Christmas. I, I cannot work. It's not work. It's a party. I'm not a Grinch. Sorry, Diane. I do not know that English word. I'm being nice to you. I cannot come on Christmas. Fine. You're fired. I'm sorry? You heard me. Leave. On Christmas Day, 1985... Diane planned a rare dinner with other Karasoke workers. Two people came, researchers Joseph Munyaneza and Wayne McGuire, one Rwandan and one American. Diane went all out, decorating, setting up a tree, and giving gifts. Both Wayne and Joseph remember the evening fondly. They got a rare glimpse of her kind, caring side, the one she reserved for the Roots, Raz Carr, and Bob Campbell. After dinner, both men went back to their respective cabins to sleep. Just two mornings later, before sunrise, Wayne McGuire awoke to yelling. Diane Kufa! Diane Kufa! Wayne wasn't fluent in Kinyarwanda, but he understood that. He raced to Diane's cabin, still hearing, Diane Kufa, Diane dead. He ran into the cabin to find Diane Fossey on the floor, slashed across the face by a machete. Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with our second episode on Diane Fossey. We'll follow the chaotic investigation into her death while two men were found legally guilty of her murder. Many suspect it was part of a vast cover-up. For more information on Diane Fossey, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Dark Romance of Diane Fossey by Harold Hayes, Gorillas in the Mist by Diane Fossey, and the National Geographic documentary series Diane Fossey Secrets in the Mist, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Solve Murders True Crime Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Stacy Nemec is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Solve Murders was written by Maggie Admire. Edited by Amin Osman and Terrell Wells. Fact-checked by Cheyenne Lopez. Researched by Mickey Taylor. Produced by Joshua Kern. 
and sound design by Juan Borda. It stars Jen Wong, Laith Walshlager, Melissa Medina, Charlie West, and Julian Smith. Our hosts are Wendy McKenzie and me, Carter Roy. Carter Roy.